It's time for the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA and Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Discord. Links in the description. This week's topic, the moon landings. Are they fake? Maybe? Maybe not? I don't know. The moon landings. This is a fun topic. This is one of the ones where I just like to have fun with it. And I, I like this topic a lot also because there's very adamant people on both sides of it. And, and I mean, there's, there's decent evidence on both sides also. I, I think I know where I stand now after doing my little bit of research, but it's, it's a pretty interesting. There's a lot of heat around this topic. Yeah. A lot of the topics we do, I go into it with a very firm opinion and it's not unusual for me to change my opinion while I'm doing my research and find things that change my mind. But on this topic, I did not find anything to change my mind. I did find a lot of really cool stuff, but nothing that actually changed my mind, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Before we get started, let's give a shout out to our live audience in Discord. So anybody who's listening, if you don't know, we do live shows now through our Discord channel. And that's usually on Fridays at 9 o'clock Pacific time. Our audience is generally not that big, as you can tell, since we're about to call all of them out. But uh, I think part of the problem is that nine o'clock Pacific, like that's like, I feel like the whole planet is already asleep. We're like the last people on the entire planet to go to sleep. And then, you know, after it passes us and then it goes over the Pacific Ocean and then it starts getting over to the other part of the world, people start waking up again. So I think it's kind of difficult for a lot of people to catch us live. But hey, if you can, you can. If you can't, you can't. So um, also... Bonus, if you catch us live, you get to witness all of the wonderful things that I normally edit out of the show, which I'm not going to say what they are, but Asian ETA knows what they are. (laughs) I'm the cause for most of them. Yeah. (laughs) So anyways, our live audience tonight is Gweezy Ninja Death. Oh, Ninja Death was here last time and the name is abbreviated. Let me see. How can I do this without screwing it up? Um, Oh, Ninja Death Star 25. Uh, This, I don't know if I want to say this one out loud. But Say anyways, it, do it. <laughs> Dick Cheese McGee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Best name ever. Fat Guy <laughs> Eli, who just joined up just a few minutes ago, actually. Welcome to Discord. Marv and Mashuka. Welcome back, Mashuka. Hey, what, what about Yak? You skipped Yak. I Did I? I thought I said Yak. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. maybe I didn't hear it. And Yak. Welcome, Yak. Okay. Well, let's get into it. Um, I'll start off first with a little bit of history of the moon landings, like the space race and the surrounding type stuff. So we're talking about the moon landings, but this was in the larger context of like the cold war. And for anybody not super familiar with history, which like I had to look, I was vaguely familiar, but the general dates of the cold war are considered to be more or less 1947 to 1991. It's a pretty long war. This was, you know, like, like, uh, like you need me to tell you, but it was between the United States and the USSR and the the allies that were basically sort of surrounding those two major powers. The cold war, the space race was a part of the cold war. 
And the idea is basically that whoever could conquer space would have a significant power advantage over their enemies. In 1955, the United States announced that it would put satellites in space, and Russia followed up by saying that they would also put satellites in space. So I guess you could say that the Western powers say, hey, we got dibs, dibs, you know. But um, unfortunately, we didn't, well, for us, I mean, I'm not trying to knock you if you're part of that Eastern Bloc because we put that all behind us. But, you know, I'm, I'm in the United States, so go America, right? So it was a, a lot, a little bit, or actually it was a huge shock when Russia launched the first satellite into space, which was called Sputnik in 1957. Nobody was expecting that to happen, and it surprised pretty much everybody. Mm -hmm. They also put the first human in space in 1961, and his name was Yuri Gag Gagarin, G-A-G-A-R-I-N, Gagarin, Yuri Gagarin. Didn't, didn't which, they also put the first monkey in space as well, or was that yeah. us? Yeah. I don't know if, was it a dog? I mean, they, they also, before Yuri. Oh, I remember hearing, yeah. I didn't, I didn't write down the exact animal because I was, I didn't want to be too comehensive with my notes and bog the show down because I didn't know what would be interesting. But oh, yeah, wait, the Soviets also put the first animal in space before they sent wait, Yuri you, up. You wrote notes for this? Oh yeah. I got all kinds of notes, man. Ah, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you, you just have to use your memory palace. Which, I'm going to use, I'm going to use my dome piece. Which if you're, if anybody's not familiar with it, I should do an episode on, or at least it, it'd be a short episode, but the memory palace, really, really cool. You can remember anything. It's pretty awesome. Maybe I'll do like a little short one on it sometime. I don't know. I am not familiar with this. Oh, really? Okay. Well, let's, let's do it now. You know what? No, let's save it. Let's save it. That'll be too, it, it'll be like maybe 10 minutes to go through it, but um, yeah. okay. not enough for a full episode, but maybe too much for a diversion. We'll, we'll save that for another time. But, all right, so anyways, back to the space race. Yeah, so they put the first animal, the first man, and it even though it was the USSR, which was our enemy at the time, the, the Soviet Union, you know, if you're a fan of uh, of Red Dawn, like I am, then not not the second one. I pretend that one didn't yeah. happen. The remake. Yeah, come on, no. that's not, that, yeah, on. that's not a thing. Wolverines! Yeah. All right, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> man, they invade, they shot school students, man. Russia's evil. But anyways, so Yuri, Yuri is really <laughs> cool. You know, like, I guess he's a hero for all of humanity. But in 1961, Yuri Gagarin was the first man in space. Uh, they, they also got to the moon first, which I don't mean men on the moon, but they were the first, Russia got to the moon first with a satellite that launched, um, launched like a, an impactor, they called it. It was like a probe with a camera on it that they launched and it impacted into the moon. And that was... Luna 2 in 1959. The first one, Luna 1, it failed its impactor mission, but it set a different record because that one became the first man-made object to escape the Earth-Moon system in January of 1959, just mm. before they launched the Luna 2 mission. So they, they had the first manned space station as well, the Salyut 1 in 1971. So the, the point here is that the Soviet Union, we were getting, by we, I mean the United States... Um, some people listen from other countries, so maybe maybe I'll qualify that by saying the United States, we were just getting spanked, man, in the space race. We lost oh, yeah. at every major milestone. The Russians beat us to it, man. Every single one. The first animal, the first man, the first space station, the, they got to the moon first. They did everything first, right? And then comes the Apollo program. 
So President Kennedy, he throws down the co- the gauntlet. He says, no, we're not losing this race. Uh-uh, we're going to get a man to the moon mm-hmm. because of this, that, and the other thing, and it's hard and whatever. We're going to do it because of this. That's We e- are doing it because it is hard, not because it is easy. We have chosen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Something like that. You know what I mean? Like, it, it was, it was a, an inspiring speech, but... The gauntlet had been thrown down, and he was going to claim the moon for the United States, and he said it will be done in this decade, so before 1970. That was the goal. And this goal at the time was a little a little on the absurd side. We'll just say that mm-hmm. because, you know, we had barely been able to get a satellite in space. We were really struggling to keep up with the Russians, and now we're going to send people to another like planetary object. And we're going to send people to space and they're going to land on something that's not the earth. It was just crazy. People were like, yeah, man, let's do it. And then people are like, this guy's crazy, but yeah, let's do it. You know, <laughs> but holy shit, we're doing it. Oh, we're doing it. Like, yeah. like you know, and, and that's one, that's one of the things that kind of like, I, I kept on thinking about while I was doing like this research and stuff into this. Just imagine how cool that would have been to be alive during that period, how exciting must that have been? You know, like not, not just like if you're, you know, in the United States, like I, I don't care, like around the world, that, that's such a momentous occasion. I could only imagine the excitement, you know, and, and how like the, the anticipation, you know what I mean? Cause yeah. I'm sure everybody was sitting there with bated breath. Like, well, are they going to make it? Are they going to land? Is something going to go wrong? Cause who knows? I mean, obviously there's millions of things that could go wrong that they, you know, didn't plan for or didn't foresee, you know, and like talking about like the level of technology that they had back then, you know, it's absolutely amazing, you know, that they were able to even uh, attempt any of this, you know, it's, right. it's quite, quite a big leap, you know, quite a freaking big leap. <laughs> yeah. They but, didn't. Yeah. So go, go along with the, uh, the history here. They didn't oh. even have, I mean, they had computers, but not like what we have. I mean, yeah, the, the technology they had, it just boggles the mind that they were able to solve some of these problems and send people into yeah. space at all. By the way, shout out to Operation Paperclip or Project or whatever. Project Paperclip or was it Operation whatever. Anyways, hey, shout out to those Nazis, Project. right? They helped us get there. <laughs> hey, Werner Von Braun, my boy. Yeah. Thanks for helping us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but where, where was I? Um, but yeah, so we I understand what you're saying with that because we live in the age of like, okay, the next cell phone is going to be way better than the last cell phone that came out. But imagine like nobody had been to space before. It was like, I guess you could think about when it was like back in the day before we had ships that could sail from one continent to another. And then they were going to like, mm-hmm. Europe was going to the new world. Nobody knew what was there. And it was like an adventure. Oh, yeah. But this is, this is so much crazier because you're just going from one land landmass to another. In this case, mm-hmm. you're sending people into space. Like they didn't even know what was yeah. going to happen. Like what's well, out something there? Something goes wrong. That's it. Yeah. You know I mean, it's, it's just so easy to meet your demise up there. I would imagine. Well, you know, it, it just it's a completely alien environment. Like that's why that's why they call space the final frontier. You know. Dun dun dun. <laughs> Cue the horn section. All right. Anyways, let's get back to the history. So the, the Apollo missions followed Project Gemini, which was the second space sort of general space missions, which I won't go into the history of all that because it goes maybe a little too far afield. But 
it's really pretty interesting just the history of space exploration in and of itself. So anybody interested, you have to Google that yourself. So on July 20th, 1969, Apollo 11, the, so the Apollo project in general was just the Apollo mission, but they had various missions in the Apollo project. Like Apollo 1 was to experiment what would happen if people burned to death on the test platform. Apollo 2 was, I forget what it is, but it might have been like, you know, to test the jets or something. And by Apollo 7, maybe they were launching stuff to orbit the moon and come back or whatever. But by Apollo 11, they were ready to actually land on the moon and land on the moon they did. With astronauts Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin being the first people to walk on the surface of the moon. The Americans, with this act, the Americans declared that they had won the space race. They said, yay, we won. Here's our gauntlet. We picked it up. It was on the moon. Screw you guys. We're going home, right? Which I, I kind of like, well, yeah, okay, so we landed on the moon, but we lost everything else. <laughs> so did we really win the space race? It's like, okay, you guys got to the moon, you know, congratulations. Let's give you a little polite clap there, you know, but... Meanwhile, the Russians have a space station orbiting the planet that who knows what they're doing with. So, yay, congratulations, you won absolutely nothing. But I don't know. I mean, it's not like I don't appreciate, it's not that I don't appreciate the accomplishment, but when they say that this won the space race for America, I'm like, yeah, but did it really? Because I don't think it did, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, no, I, I would agree with that, you know? Like, what, what did you gain out of it afterwards, you know? Yeah. What are the... Uh, yeah, what are the, the tangible assets that you have? Well, tangible assets, that would be a bunch of moon rocks. And that's about it. <laughs> and moon, moon rocks are pretty sweet. And data. Dude, how cool would that be to have a moon rock? But you know what? How look how similar does it look to other rocks? So would you even be able to tell the difference without like a scientific degree or something? I don't know. I wouldn't, you know, like, yeah, I know that like, you know, pe people, there are a lot of people out there, well, not a lot, but there's a certain, you know, group of people out there that are world worldwide search for meteorites, you know, and they find them, you know, and then I couldn't tell you though, what the hell a meteorite looks like, a burnt rock. I don't know. <laughs> Actually, like that. now that you mention it, there's, I have some strange hobbies. One of my hobbies is recently like, well, not recently during the pandemic, I just started reading random stuff and I started getting into wristwatches of all things. Long story short, you can actually get a mm. wristwatch with uh, the faceplate is made out of meteorite and it has like the metal has a certain pattern and then they put like a, like an acidic chemical on it to sort of etch it and make it more pronounced or whatever. But dude, uh -huh. I want one. In fact, I'm going to go on a limb and say there's only a matter of time until I get myself a wristwatch made out of meteorite. And it turns out there's <laughs> actually, they're not that expensive. Some of them because meteor that was going to be my next question. Yeah. Meteorites, I guess they, they find meteorites fairly often, like not that often, but they're not that rare either. And to make, to make the, the face for a wristwatch, you only need a really thin slice of, uh, of a meteorite. So it doesn't actually take that much material. And I don't know, I forget the exact price, but I was looking at some, I saw them as cheap as $200, which that's not cheap, huh. but considering you get a meteorite mist wristwatch, mm. I mean, like. What do you want? Do you want a new Xbox for 500 bucks or do you want a meteorite wristwatch for 200 bucks? You know what I mean? I don't know. Tough oh, call. Oh, yeah. Not that you can get an Xbox right now if you wanted to, but hey, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like the point is that like if you want it, you can afford it. It's not that bad. Or you can get 
you know, like the Rolex Submariner with, is it Submariner? I forget which model. It's one of the Rolex models. The Daytona? Yeah, it might be the Daytona. One of the Rolexes, maybe <laughs> it's a, maybe both of them, but I was just, I found it Googling around and that one is like, it's like $60,000 for like the same yeah. watch, except it has a meteorite faceplate and now it's 60,000 instead of 10 or whatever it normally is. So you could go that route, but I don't have quite that level of disposable income. You know, I'm working on it. Hey, maybe someday, but <laughs> mm-hmm. for now, my uh, my meteorite watches will not be Rolexes. They will be whatever I can get <laughs> for 200, 200, 300, whatever. I will be worried about like the really cheap ones being like a knockoff. It's not really a meteorite. You know, it's just something yeah. that looks kind of similar to it. Right. And that's, that might be the big reason why I haven't gotten one yet, because I'm going to have to do some legwork to figure out what's what. excuse me, figure out what's what and to see, you know, is this really meteorite or is this like just some sort of iron alloy that kind of looks like it? But Mm -hmm. I I guess that's what you get with the Rolex when you're paying 60 K. I guarantee you, you're getting a real meteorite on that thing, you know? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. But is it worth the extra five fifty nine thousand whatever dollars, you know? (laughs) Nah. Nah, I, I can take that money down to uh, Tijuana or or maybe over to Thailand and have a great old time for quite some time. Edit. You know what I mean? Edit. <laughs> <laughs> right. What did I say, dude? I didn't but, even cuss. What are you talking about? But um, <laughs> anyways, so let's get back to the history of the space race. Anyway, so uh, Neil Armstrong <laughs> and Buzz Aldrin, they were on the surface, and Michael Collins, I think who is the unsung hero who, cause imagine that you're in the three person mission and they're mm-hmm. like, okay, three, three of you are going only two of you get to walk on the moon. The third one has to stay behind on the command and service module orbiting the moon and monitoring things. Right. And mm-hmm. I should, I didn't have time to search for this, but what did they draw straws? Did they have to wrestle for play, it? Like how did they determine Rochambeau or something? Yeah. Who had to stay behind? Like, so he's sort of like, like he's not, he doesn't get the press that Neil, Neil yeah. Armstrong gets, but he's sort of like, he took one for the team on that one. Right. Cause come yeah. on, dude, you go all the way to the moon. That's really far. And then you got to <laughs> stay in the car. You don't get to get out and check it out. I mean, that sucks, man. You know, yeah. that's, that's like this one time when I was in, I think it was middle school. They took us on a field trip to Knott's Berry farm to look at all the historical crap and they didn't let us go on any of the rides. That sucked. That was the worst field trip ever. I'm not making this up. This happened and it was horrible and it scarred me. And to this day, I have anxiety (laughs) over it. (laughs) Why would they do that to kids? Like, what do you think? What do you think with the, you know, some roller coasters in the background, you don't think those kids are going to be interested in that shiny object over there, so to say, you know? Yeah. They're not going to be given a a single iota of a shit about that history. Yeah. When you have a distraction like that. Right. Cool beans. There's a building made out of bottles. I don't care. I want to go on the roller coaster, you know? <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> it was a, a complete waste of time for us as students. And it was the most disappointing thing ever because we're thinking, okay, maybe after this tour, we can go on like one or two rides. Cause you get, there's enough time before school's out. We can go on one or two rides, but no, Yeah, you're there, you know, you're yeah. already there. Whoever's idea that was, was, was evil, man. That's like torturing kids, man. That, well, yeah, I guess close enough. But anyways, <laughs> so let's get back to the Apollo missions. In total, there were six landings on the moon and 12 people walked on the moon. Or did they? Dun, dun, dun. All right. That's my end of my historical stuff. I mean, 
there's so much stuff to this, like the the Cold War space race and the the history of space exploration that, like, I kind of want to go into more depth, but this show is for aliens and conspiracies, so it's a little off topic maybe, but man, there's some really interesting stuff, like even going down to like the rockets and how the rockets were designed and like, it, it's just, it's, there's no end. It just it never ends. The stuff you can look into for that. Yeah. Really interesting topics, but let's get onto the conspiracies. Some of the stuff um, I actually wanted to ask Agent Ether about, cause she knows what the heck she's talking about. Like, for example, the argument that like rockets don't actually work in a vacuum. Oh no. I don't know the first thing about that crap. I can tell you, you know that I mean? they do work in a vacuum. That's nonsense. Okay. Cause the way a rocket well, works. Well, shit then. <laughs> <laughs> the way a rocket works is pretty much the exact same way that, you know, a jet engine works or like even a propeller in an airplane works at the base level. You're just making something come out the back end faster than it's coming in the front end. But in the case of a rocket, you're using like a propellant. So nothing's coming in the front end like it would with mm-hmm. like a jet engine. So a jet engine mm-hmm. wouldn't work in space or a propeller. Same, same idea, basically. It, it would need atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have to have something in coming in the front of it and then shooting out the back of it, essentially. But the, you know, like a jet engine, you have the air exiting the back of the engine much faster than it comes in the front of the engine, creating a forward thrust, right? Mm-hmm. With a rocket, you don't have anything coming in, but you still have something shooting out of the back. And that's, that's a whole other topic, like the kind of fuels and stuff that they use. And I'm not an expert on it by any means, but I did touch on it when I was reading about this topic. But when they went to the moon, they used specific and special fuel formulas that are different than what you might use for a rocket on earth to, you know, to go to the moon and to make sure that the, the fuel would have, they'd have enough when they landed. And they even calculated it out to where when they landed the lunar module, the landing fuel was out pretty much almost exactly when they landed. Like they didn't give them a whole lot of extra for, for mistakes or anything because every ounce of weight counted on those missions, mm-hmm. right? They didn't have very much room for error. They had to be very efficient with that stuff. Or yeah. did they? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, rockets absolutely work in a vacuum and this has been tested. You could even test this at home with a very rudimentary, you could probably build yourself a very small rocket. Uh, I actually saw this. I, I, now that you jog my memory there, I remember years ago, I saw this uh, episode of Mythbusters actually. Mm-hmm. Where they they created like a chamber and then they they uh, made made it into a vacuum by uh, using a compressor to suck all the air out and stuff I think and um like they tested it and it worked yeah yeah like, actually you know, the object moved their little rocket that they had I've seen that episode too the the MythBusters did a moon landing episode and the only criticism I might have is that they were uh, completely on the skeptical side like they weren't in the middle at all I like to approach mm-hmm. things more from the middle just because you just get a better view that way. And you have a lot more fun. I have a lot of fun. Even if there's something I don't believe, if it's a fun story or a fun idea, I'm willing to run with it for a little bit just to see where it goes, you know, but that that's actually a really uh, episode. That's a really excellent episode of the Mythbusters because they go over probably almost not everything, but almost everything we're going to talk about on this episode. And they come up with reasonable and plausible explanations for everything, everything. And, that's this is probably the only topic that we've discussed so far where there's actually skeptical explanations I'm willing to discuss, not just discuss and entertain, but actually I, I believe some of them too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Usually it's like the, uh, you know, like the Kelly goblins where somebody's reporting this strange creature approaching the house and they say, okay, I shot up with a shotgun. I hit it at point blank and then it floated away and ran off. And then the skeptical explanation is, uh, that was a pile of metal debris in the yard, or that was an owl, or that was a monkey in a suit or something. It's like, no, you don't happens to a monkey. If you hit it with a shotgun, it dies and it stays there. And then when the police stays in one spot, yeah. yeah. When the police come and investigate, they find a bloody mess in the yard that you just blasted to hell with a shotgun. Like, so I mean, usually the the skeptical explanations and the stuff we talk about are so absurd they're not even worth mentioning. But in this case, Mm -hmm. in this case, the skeptics actually have a lot to say. So let's get to it. All right. So some conspiracies. In 1976, Bill Casing, K-A-Y-S-I-N-G, published a book titled, We Never Went to the Moon, America's $30 Billion Swindle. And the reason this is in, there's been a lot of stuff like this over the years. The reason I'm mentioning this one is that Casing was a former U.S. Navy officer and a technical writer and the head of the technical publications unit at the company's, uh, at, um, at uh, Rocketdyne, he was the head of their technical publications unit. And this is the company that built the engines used on the Saturn V rockets. And the Saturn V rockets are the ones used in the Apollo program to send the people to the moon. So this guy seems to have a little bit of credibility behind him. Now, unfortunately, I didn't have time to read an entire book for this case, but I just wanted to throw that one out there because, so this guy could have retired from his job and then said, hey, I want to become a creative writer and I want to make a few pennies on, you know, my ties to the military and whatever. But on the other hand, he was in the Navy and he was a technical writer for the people who made the Rocketdyne engines. So that does make it kind of interesting. And it is something that I would like to read when I get a chance, which probably won't be anytime soon, but still, it's something interesting. And if anybody listening has read this book or is familiar with, familiar with it, let us know what you think about it. But in the book, he obviously, if you couldn't tell from the title, he argues that it would have been that the moon landings were fake and that it would have actually been easier to fake the moon landings than to go there with people. And we talked about that. We touched on that earlier, the idea that the technology at the time, I mean, even today, even today, we haven't gone back to the moon and it seems like it would be a major challenge to send people to the moon, not just like a a lander or something. There, there are some some real reasons, some very straightforward reasons why we haven't gone back. And I think the biggest one is probably funding and yeah. support, you know, from Congress and from the public, you know? Right. I mean, let's not forget that, that the atmosphere that this was originally done in, I mean, there was a bunch of supercharged, you know, like like heightened level of uh, fandom when it comes to, you know, I mean, that's not probably not the right way to put it, but like. People were very supportive of this. You know, the Cold War was at its peak, right? Um, not well, maybe not quite at its biggest peak, but anyways, um, they had plenty of funding. They had a giant amount of funding. I think uh, at the height during during the Apollo programs, I think um, NASA was receiving like four point five percent of the national budget or something like that. Yeah, which, so, which is yeah. huge. It was a know? lot. Yeah, it was. I and think- now it's you know, who knows. A percent, maybe it, it's much less than that, yeah. And I think it was probably, yeah, yeah. mainly fear driven. And I don't even know if fear is the right word, but it's like if you know, if if you don't have airplanes and your opponent does, 
you're you're in trouble. You ain't winning that war. You know, they can just roll over you yeah. anytime they want. And I think that was the idea is that, you know, if they could get above us in space and they could bomb us from space from a satellite that we have no weapons that could even get up there to attack them back, they could just mercilessly bombard us at will, take out any target they want anytime they want. This is the fear that's running through everybody's head at the time. So we have to get up there and, you know, not just match them, but we have to beat them. Just like air superiority, we needed to find space superiority. Otherwise, the fear was that we would be invaded and taken over. That's sort of like, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that was in the discussion in the meeting rooms or if it was subconscious or whatever, but this is what was on everybody's mind. And this is why we had to. It was an imperative. We did not have a choice. And that's why they're willing to spend so much money on this project, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, I think I've heard it uh, quoted as being said it was a big dick, wa uh, dick wagging race. Basically, it's like the same thing as like the, uh, like the atomic race. I mean, you know, the, the nuclear weapons race, I guess is a better way to put it. Yeah. You know, it's just, we wanted to make something bigger and better than they had. Well, you know, we won that one in the beginning, although I can't say the results were, uh, <laughs> anything to celebrate. Unlike in this case where, you know, no? yeah. <laughs> but that's another topic for another day. All right. Oh yeah. So one of, one of the conspiracies that we've already sort of been talking about is that, this, this one, I kind of like this one just because it, it doesn't prove anything, but it's just like a fun idea. So the, the idea is that the Soviets beat us every step of the way. We were always behind them. By we, I mean the United States, obviously. So the Soviet moon landing program, so the Soviets had beat us every step of the way. They were completely superior to our space program, but their moon landing program, they actually canceled it. They could not get it to work. They could not land on the moon, right? It was a failure. They failed going to the moon. So the idea is if the Soviets couldn't do it and they were so far ahead of us, then out of nowhere, out of the blue, all of a sudden we're like, boom, we did it. We're on the moon. It's like, well, mm -hmm. how did that happen? Like, how did we come up and pull out ahead of them so quickly and decisively, like out of nowhere? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. So the idea is that uh, we didn't actually have the technology to do that because nobody did it. The Soviets failed. We would have failed if we had tried it. So instead, to win the space race and try to win the Cold War, instead we faked the moon landings to, uh, to, to achieve that goal without actually having to achieve it because it was basically an impossible goal. But it's kind of a circumstantial ar argument. There's really no proof behind it. It's just kind of like a fun idea, like a fun conspiracy. I enjoy it kind of saying, well, what if? Like, that does make a certain amount of sense to me, like, we couldn't have done it. They couldn't have done it. So we just made it all up. You're right. We just faked it instead. I think that's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. That one's fun. Well, it sounds very convenient. You know what I mean? Like what's, what do you think is easier sending men to the moon or filming it in a, a studio somewhere, you know, wherever it was, you know, I think uh, the popular theory is that Stanley Kubrick was the one in charge of that, right? The government had a, uh, you know, presented him with an offer, you know, and he, he took it after some, some debate, I guess. But, uh, what was it? it was supposed to be like in London or something like that where he, they, they supposedly shot, uh, the film, or whatever. Oh, dude, I got some notes on Stanley Kubrick. We will get to him. Oh boy. <laughs> some fun <laughs> yeah, stuff. The shining. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't know if it was supposed to be in London or not, but supposedly he did the moon landings as like a secret government contract. And, uh, yeah, we'll get to that in a bit, but 
most of the conspiracies are based on like the photographic evidence. And some of these are really, really interesting, but they're also unfortunately really easy to debunk most of them. So one of them, for example, one of the ideas, the cameras used to take the pictures on the moon had a glass plate with crosshairs on it. Like the crosshairs are kind of in a grid. If you see in the moon, the moon photos, you see like these little crosses everywhere. And I, you know, it just occurred to me that I didn't look into why they actually did this. I have no idea, but, but I imagine it's something to sort of measure or scale the photographs. But in some of the pictures that were sort of, uh, they were scanned or reproduced in other media like newspapers and magazines or whatever, the cross, the crosses or those crosshairs, they look like they're going behind objects. So the idea is that because the crosshair is going behind an object, that proves that this was somehow a fake photograph. But if you look at the original pictures, you can tell in all the original pictures, and you can Google this and look up side-by-side comparisons, that the crosshairs are actually still there. But in the the touched-up photo or the adjusted photos, sometimes they adjust the brightness or whatever to make the photo stand out more. It, it overexposes the bright spots on the pictures. And because this was a black and white photograph, often you have like a white area that the, the white becomes overexposed and it washes out the black part of the crosshair. And it makes it look like the crosshair is no longer there on the object and going behind the object. But on the original photos, you can clearly see that the crosshairs are in front of the photo or in front of the object. But... Even going a little further than that, what I was wondering when I was reading about this one is how would that prove that they were fake anyways? Like why, if you're taking fake pictures of the moon, why would you have a crosshair going behind an object? Like, I don't understand how that proves it's fake. It just, I don't know. Uh, That one doesn't make sense to me. The no stars. That was actually the next one on my list. So there are no stars in any of the, well, not any. There's actually one photograph that I found that they had stars in it, but pretty much all of the photos you're going to see of the moon, they don't have any stars in any of the photos. And it looks, it actually, once, I didn't really notice it until like I was pointed out. Once somebody points it out, it actually looks really, really weird. Like you see these people on the moon and it's just, it's completely black in the sky. There's no stars. You're like, wait a minute. Shouldn't it looks there be, like the sky has been like superimposed onto the image. Yeah. You know, there should be a crap ton of stars up there. There should be all sorts of stars up there, but there's none. And the explanation for this one is that, um, it, okay. So it looks weird, but because of the bright, the moon's surface does a good job of reflecting light. So do the astronauts in their, you know, astronaut suits or whatever. And yeah. they had to set the photos to like what you might consider like a daytime setting, And because of the daytime setting, it makes it less sensitive to smaller sources of lights like stars. So you can see it, uh, you can see the moon, but you can't see the stars. So that was the explanation for that one. And it does make a certain amount of sense. It's similar to like when you go out during the day and you look up and you see the blue sky, the stars are still there. You just can't see them because they're not bright enough versus the brightness of the sky. It's a very similar ideas. That's how the cameras were set to be able to take these photographs. Now, I'm not a photography expert, 
So this is one of those ones where, unfortunately, I just have to take somebody else's word for it. But in this case, it does make sense, even though it looks really super weird why there are no stars there. But uh, there does seem to be a plausible explanation for it. You can make a really compelling argument if you frame everything a certain way that you can make a very compelling argument that the moon landings were faked. And this is why I really like this topic because yeah, it's, it's one of the ones where if you're willing to sort of say, what if, then you'd be like, Oh my God, there actually is some really interesting arguments out there that the moon landings are faked. Right. So it's really interesting just yeah. to say, yeah. what if, and the shadows is one of those things because the shadows in those pictures don't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Right. But when, mm-hmm. like you're saying, when you get down to like the geometry of the surface, the fact that there's no atmospheric scattering, the fact that the horizon looks different than, than on the earth, the fact that there's no landmarks like trees and buildings, like you would typically see in a photograph on the, there's so much it, that goes into it. But at the end of the day, it is explainable. And this one, I would actually recommend people look at the, uh, the Mythbusters episode that we're talking about earlier. Because this is a podcast, we can't really show visually what we're talking about, but the shadows look really weird, but it's, it is possible to explain that based on what we know about versus different things about geometry and the way light works and stuff. But I mean, if you take that out of context, man, those shadows look really weird and you could actually make a compelling argument that, Hey, this is not how light should work. This is these shadows are only possible if you have multiple light sources, right? That's basically the argument is so on a sound mm-hmm. stage or like a stage where they're going to make, um, you know, movies or take photographs or something, they're going to have multiple light sources. They're not going to have just one light to light up something because there's going to be, the shadows aren't going to look good. So they'll yeah. have like two or three, maybe more lights. I don't know. I'm not an expert, but the idea is that, the shadows in the photos prove that there's more than one light source on the soundstage proving that these are faked photographs, which it's really compelling and it looks weird, but there actually are multiple light sources on the moon as well. You know, like the, the, the suits, the moon itself and the earth reflect a lot of light yeah. and, and, you know, like the geometry and stuff we've already mentioned. So, well, and I think one thing that is also very important to, uh, to be aware of also is like light isn't like a, a point A to point B type thing. It, it reflects all re- reflects all over the place, you know, and it, it's not like just a one singular thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. And it, well, like I talked about in a, a previous going back a while, but the Paulding light, um, if you're unfamiliar, it's a light. This is a real thing. The Paulding light, you can go see it. And it's a light that's in the forest. And when you go to where the light is, it's not there. But it turns out that there's a uh, long story short, spoiler alert, um, that there's actually like uh, like an inversion layer or something that bends the light around from a distant highway, which I think is still like really freaking cool because yeah. you have people seeing something that is unexplainable to the average person. I mean, who the heck knows about light refraction? I mean, I didn't, mm-hmm. I would not have guessed that if I hadn't read it, you know, somebody else figured that out, not me. But anyways, yeah. So light doesn't necessarily go in a straight line. In fact, I mean, you might say that it never does, that it always is bending and twisting based on certain, you know, 
features of wherever it's going through, whether that's magnetic or gravity. I don't know. I'm not a physicist. And that's why Agent Ether should have been here because she knows about this stuff. She is a real physicist. Yeah. Yeah. Let's give her shit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> she's not here. She's not here, but she probably will listen to this so we could talk all kinds of shit knowing that she's going to hear it later. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm okay with it because like, we'll only have to deal with it later. Not right now. Yeah. 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 So I, I will go out, go ahead and say, I don't, I'm not going to edit this out. She is a slacker. She's slacking <laughs> and she's watching Dune right now as we speak. What a slacker. I'm jealous. Slacker. I'm jealous. I know. I know. I want to go see that movie. Sad face. Anyways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So another, another theory that a conspiracy theory is that there's different photos that have the same background. And that would be like on a movie set or something. You would paint a background that might be like the backdrop to different scenes, like a sunset or something. So this proves that the photos were faked because the there'd be like a photo that was supposed to be a supposed to be taken miles apart from each other and they'll have the exact same background. But mm-hmm. uh, this is interesting at first glance, and it seems compelling at first glance. But when you take a really close look, like a you put like side by side pictures, or you can even find like the it's like a GIF where it alternates the photos. You can see that the backgrounds are actually not identical; they just look similar. And at a glance, yeah. they look similar. But if you're paying attention, they're actually not. The next one I have, which was actually really interesting, which. Uh, <laughs> I think I thought it was convincing, not convincing, convincing, but I was like, whoa, that's weird looking is on one of the pictures on a rock. You can see what looks like the letter C. Yep. Yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see there's another C on the ground somewhere. And the idea is that this proves that what you're looking at is actually a prop, right? Like a, a mm. prop on a studio stage or something. And I was like, wow, that, that there, there's no way a, a moon rock is going to have the letter C on it. That's silly, right? But of course not. If you look at the original photograph, the C is not there. So what that means is that this is taken from a photograph that was a reproduction, probably a scan of some kind. And that's probably the C is probably just a piece of dust or a hair or something like that. It's, it was not in the original photographs. And unfortunately this one doesn't really, uh, you know, it, it doesn't forward the case that the moon landings were faked. Unfortunately, Hey, it doesn't mm-hmm. prove that they weren't faked though. So we're still going. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So one, this is an interesting one. So if it was on the moon, if they were really on the moon, then how did they, who was filming Neil Armstrong stepping onto the moon for the first time? Somebody was holding that camera. Who was it? And I was like, whoa, I never thought of that, right? Because we have film of Neil Armstrong taking the first step on the moon. Yeah, from the outside of the landing craft. Yeah, it was on the outside of the landing. You can actually find a, there's a picture of the camera mounted on the outside of the, the lunar lander. And you're like, it's kind of on like a little thing that kind of like looks like it folds out and it's a little distance away. So you're like, all right, well... That one was really fun while it lasted for like five seconds until I got to the punchline. But I'm like, oh shit, who was filming Neil Armstrong? Because if you look at some of those pictures, it doesn't look like the camera's mounted on the lunar lander. It looks like somebody's holding the camera. So, 
but yeah, unfortunately, it was like it was mounted on the lunar lunar lander. Yeah, and it's actually pretty well documented the amount the amount of cameras that they had on on all of their vehicles, like on, on every piece of of you know whatever they they were uh, they had up there. Um, I've seen a bunch of pictures of those different enclosures and stuff that they had the cameras encased in. And yeah, no, it's, it makes sense. I, I went through the same thing too. When I, when I first uh, heard that revelation, <laughs> Yeah, I was like, oh shit, that's the smoking gun. That's a smoking gun, dude. Like yeah. that's the one right there. Look at that. And then, and then I looked into it a little further and like, no, there's, there's plenty of evidence that they, they put cameras, as many cameras as they could. Cause obviously they, everything has to come into contact with weight, you know? So weight is a, a concern and on every front, you know? So, but they, they, they had a, a decent amount of cameras. I couldn't tell you the number, but I know that I've seen pictures of them and stuff and, you know, it's a, uh, they, they were definitely there, you know? Yeah. All right. So the next, the next theory that I came across was that the, there's actually, you can find some pretty in-depth discussions of this, like looking at even specific models and stuff. But the idea is that you couldn't have taken these photos on the moon because the radiation in space and there there's space and radi there's there's radiation in space that we're shielded from because of our atmosphere and the magnetic field of the earth and stuff. But um if you're taking photos on the moon, the radiation would fog the film and make it impossible to take those photos. And I've read arguments about this based on like specific models of camera and you know various minutiae and things, but at the end of the day, the argument is that the film was housed in metal containers, and this was something that they would have planned for. So it's not, um, it's, again, it's one of those things where I, I'm not a scientist. I don't know anything about radiation, but um, you got to kind of like, you got to take somebody else's word for it. And it seems plausible to me that if they could figure out how to send somebody to the moon, they could also figure out how to shield the canister of film from radiation, you know? So that one, it's, it's really interesting and you can get really down in the weeds with some of the discussions about it. But at the end of the day, it's, it's hard to say that it was, it's hard to say that that one's proof that we didn't land on the moon, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's more just something you can sort of, sort of argue and it's sort of interesting, but, uh, but yeah, anyways, speaking of radiation, one of the ideas is that it would have been impossible to send people to the moon because there's too much radiation as you pass through the Van Allen belts. So the Van Allen belts are zones of charged particles that are caused by solar wind when it hits like the magnetic fields around the earth. And uh, I don't, I mean, this is another one of those things where it's like, okay, I mean, if you, t if you say that's up there, sure. Why not? I guess, you know, <laughs> I have no idea who knows what's up there. Could be anything, but uh, it turns out that the radiation isn't as powerful as it's made out to be. And even the guy it's named after Van Van Allen at one time came out and said, no, no, that's not true. The radiation wouldn't be strong enough to actually kill people, but I don't know. Is it? I mean, I wouldn't be able to say one way or the other, because again, something that a physicist, a non lazy physicist who actually wants to show up to the recording of the episode would have mm -hmm. to comment on. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, so the next thing, the next uh, the next conspiracy theory here we have is the flag. All right, this is this is the oh, yeah. big one. This is probably the most commonly discussed conspiracy theory when it comes to the moon landings being faked, I would say. And 
the idea is that when the the flag was planted, it waves around and there's like video of it and stuff like it was in the wind, right? Mm-hmm. And, and there's when you look at pictures, the flag the flag looks like it's waving in the wind. But um, again, this is another one of the ones where you're like, I don't know, I have to take somebody else's word for it. But they were actually able to reproduce this on Mythbusters as well. And they were able to sort of address this one. But in a nutshell, the flag was mounted on a pole, like an L-shaped, an upside down L-shaped pole. Because, you know, there's no wind on the moon to kind of make the flag flap back and forth and to raise it up. So if you just had a flag, it would just be kind of like, flopping down there and you wouldn't be able to see it. So they mounted it with a a pole going up and then a pole going perpendicular to the ground to hold the flag up. So when they put the flag into the ground, it sort of vibrated back and forth a little bit. And because there's no wind resistance or anything, it would, it did that more than it normally would. Like if you just planted something on the earth and I guess maybe there's less gravity. So that also makes things behave differently. And well, it wasn't waving. It seems like it wasn't waving as much as it was just flopping from being handled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they handled that flag, baby. But <laughs> also the in the pictures, it looks like the flag is waving in the wind. But I guess the flag had been folded to get it up there. Because, I mean, you know, you're not going to just bring the flag. You're going to fold it. And it was sort of um, sort of like creased. And it had, had a texture from being folded during storage or whatever to get it up there. So that's sort of the explanation for that one. But on the other hand, it does look like it's waving in the wind, you know? So it sort of makes your imagination go wild, but, uh, well, I think that was one of the, I've heard this described by, uh, I forget what the NASA employee was that that was, uh, involved with the program. But at any rate, um, basically it was like, they didn't want to waste, the uh, the opportunity to get a, a good picture, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they they didn't want to get up there and then have the flag, you know, like flop down or be like, you know, you're not not recognizable. They want it to be a good solid. There's an American flag, you know, you can see the whole thing. They're not going to waste that opportunity, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. And so that's that's why they that's why they they made the frame the, the way that they did to make sure that they could at least get the, you know, make sure you know that what you're looking at, you know. Yeah. But the like a lot of these theories, like when you stop and think about it, it's like, okay, so they're, if they're going to, they're going to fake the moon landings, they're going to make a sound stage that's a convincing moon and they're going to do all this, but they're going to somehow neglect that. So th- one of the ideas is that it was a sound stage and that there were fans or air conditioning or something that was making the flag wave around. But you're telling me they're going to be able to perfectly replicate a moon landing and yet they're going to neglect to, um, to, to notice that the flag is, is, uh, you know, fluttering in the wind. They're just going to completely mm-hmm. neglect that aspect of it. It's like, I don't think so, dude, if they're going to be so careful to get every minute detail, for example, stuff we haven't talked about, like when, you know, when dust, when like the lander landed or when somebody steps and like the moon dust goes up, dust behaves differently on the moon because of the lack of an atmosphere, because of the difference in gravity and that kind of stuff. That Mm -hmm. is such a minor detail that they got correct that they would miss such a major thing, like a flag flapping around. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's a tough sell for me, you know, that they would miss something that big, but I guess. And also, 
I mean, there, there's, you know, nowadays we could easily recreate that and, and make it somewhat f- seamless and flawless. But now that we have such such a sophistication with when it, when it comes to making movies and stuff like that nowadays, they didn't have it back then, obviously, you know. But um, there would be too many telltale signs of like editing processes and stuff. You know what I mean? If there was like one fleck of dust or a hair or even like, because I know that there are, are certain um, flaws like within the editing process that you can't really avoid, especially back then, you know? So it would, it, I don't think, I don't know. It, it would have been too hard to do, I think, like and make it as flawless as it looks. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think that, if they had a massive budget and they had the will to make it happen, like they, they had to make it happen because you know, the, of the cold war and everything, I think it's possible that they could have faked it. I think that is a possibility, but, um, mm-hmm. so I'm, I don't, I, I haven't necessarily ruled it out, but the thing with like all the stuff we've talked about so far, none of it proves that the moon landings were faked. Although there's a lot of interesting arguments but none of it is proof. But on the other hand, like yeah. I was, I was talking to Agent Ether earlier. I was playing Devil's Advocate, and she's like, "Oh yeah, well we got moon rocks." I'm like, "Yeah, so moon rocks doesn't prove that we went to the moon." And she's like, "Okay, well they put a reflector up there that you can shine a laser on." I'm like, "Okay, yep. so yeah, they could have put that up there with like uh, an um one of those satellites they sent up there, or or whatever. Like they sent unmanned you know satellites to the moon." They could have just put a reflector on there and that's why that's up there. It's like none mm. of this proves that people went to the moon explicitly. So there's, it's not like proof. So I could see like both sides of the argument is like, well, we brought back moon rocks. Yeah. Yeah. They did that well, with but, an unmanned probe. They landed and they brought back. That doesn't, yeah. pro- that doesn't prove that people went there, you know? Well, so for, all right. So this is something I definitely plan on doing. It's kind of like one of my, I wouldn't necessarily say bucket list type things I want to accomplish, but like one of the things I actually really want to do eventually is get like a really nice like telescope or something like that and moon watch. Mm-hmm. Just because like I've watched like different videos of like people recording just the moon surface, just just regular, like not looking for anything spe- like special or, or specific. They're just watching the moon, you know? And um, I don't know why, but that is like strangely enjoyable to me i i couldn't like i said i could not tell you why i don't know i i think it's part it's like par- partially like one of those things like you're know, like uh you know the anticipation like 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 a, like a gambler you know like I, i'm gambling on maybe one day i might see something you know what i mean mm-hmm. <laughs> but i know that you can with a high power and enough uh, telescope you can find those landing sites and it is really? it has been videotaped it has been recorded you can yeah you can find those landing sites because obviously that that reflective uh a panel that they put up there, um, you know, it's it's in a specific site. You can see that too. Not like you can see it that well. I mean, you're going to have to be in like an observatory or something, you know, or some really high power to see any detail. But you can find the landing sites. You know, the the coordinates are pretty well documented. You know. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know you could actually see. It. Okay, that's those are that's really small from here. Those must be some very yeah, high power. Very high-powered telescopes. Well, it's it's not like you can see like every little detail, like I said, mm-hmm. but you can see enough to where like you know, if you know what to look for, you're like oh okay, all right, there it is, you know. Yeah, because right. you can see the tracks and and also on the surface still as well from like the like some of the later missions, you know. Oh yeah, because they had they had like a um a rover that they drove around on there. Yeah, I forget which mission that that wasn't on Apollo Apollo Eleven, right? 
I don't think so. No, I think that was one of the later ones. There's a lot of conspiracies. I just touched on some of the more prominent ones, but um, there's a ton of them out there. Like you could go on and on and on about all the different conspiracies. And I think it's all a lot of fun because you'll have like this photographic evidence. You'll be like, oh, that does look weird. But then if you take a stop to uh, take a second to stop and think about it, it doesn't make sense. Or if you look at how it can be disproved or whatever, you're like, okay, maybe it's not that weird, but it still looks weird. It's a lot of fun to look into this topic, but let's move on to the the last topic I have, which is Stanley Kubrick. Oh yeah. This one is Monsieur Kubrick. Yes, sir. This one is fun. So the idea is that uh, his one of his big movies was 2001 in a space 2001 a space odyssey and it was under development around the same time that they were doing the Apollo program and it came out at about the same time that they landed on the moon the movie was released in 1968 so part of this movie takes place on the moon now there are some differences between the moon and the movie and the moon portrayed on the moon landings. But let's, let's not worry about that too much. Let's get into uh, what I really want to talk about is the shining. Did you read up on the shining at all? Aging ETA? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of the reasons why, why they, you know, there, there's telltale markers in there. Why people think it's connected. And the main big thing is obviously the, uh, what's that kid's name? He's wearing the Apollo 11 sweat sh- or sweater. Yeah. We'll get to the sweater. All right. Let's, <laughs> let's start at the beginning. So he confessed, this is the idea is that Kubrick couldn't just tell people that he had done the moon landing movies, but um, well, we won't get into the whole background of why people suspect it's him it's that uh, that alone could get convoluted. Let's just say that Kubrick is the one, the director in charge of faking the moon landing on behalf of NASA. Okay. That's the argument we're looking at here. So in the film, the shining, which is based on a novel by Stephen King that came out a year or two before the movie was made. I forget the exact years, but something like that. But um, in the movie, he he basically uses the movie as a vehicle to confess to the public and the world at large that the moon that he hoaxed the moon landings using symbolism. So the hotel itself in the movie is supposed to symbolize America. And they use symbolism in the movie, such as like the one of the main arguments here is that Kubrick changed a lot of stuff from the novel. And the things he changed from the novel are the things that he's using to tell us that the moon landings were faked. So for example, like a room number 270 or 237. Oh yeah. We'll get there. So (laughs) the hotel in the, in the book, the hotel is just a haunted hotel in the movie. The hotel is haunted because it's built on an Indian burial ground. And you're like, Ah, they're using, they're digging that one up. I mean, come on, dude, you can't get any less original than that. But mm-hmm. if it's a symbol, then that sort of like telling you that the hotel stands for America because America is sort of built on, you know, Indian nations, right? That's sort of the idea. Mm-hmm. So the, the manager of the hotel who hires the main character, Jack as a caretaker, I'm going to skip through some of the plot because 
it would take a long time to go through the plot. So I'm just going to assume that people know what I'm talking about. But so Jack is a writer and the manager of the hotel hires Jack to watch the hotel during the winter time when no guests are there because you can't get to it because it gets frozen in. In the movie, during the interview, there's an eagle behind the manager as if the eagle is the power behind the manager. So this is suggesting, again, like the United States is the real power behind this, you know, the movie or whatever. It's just, it's like a, like a symbol, right? And there's also like a U.S. Mm -hmm. flag on his desk as well. And you could be skeptical and say, well, eagles, flags, that's all very common. Any manager in America is likely to have that kind of stuff in his office, but let's not worry about that stuff right now. The manager hires Jack to prevent the hotel from deteriorating during the winter when there are no guests there. Now, the idea is that the winter itself, when they get frozen in the hotel and cut off from the rest of the world, the cold weather in the winter is symbolic for the Cold War, right? It's, I mean, a little Mm. obvious if you think about it. Sure, why not? So in one of the scenes... The character Jack, so in the in the hotel you have Jack, his wife Wendy, and their son Danny. In one scene, Jack is bouncing a ball against a wall. On the wall, there's a Native American motif that looks like rockets, but also kind of looks like arrows. And it really does look I, like, I, I, I'm saying it, but no, Google it, trust me, it really does look like rockets. It kind of does. Yeah. And um, arrows... Apollo was the god of archery, I guess. So, <laughs> arrows. Interesting correlation there, huh? Like, huh. And like, okay, that's that's interesting. Okay, please continue. You know, so uh, the idea is that he's throwing a ball at this. He's literally playing ball. And the idea is that Jack, the main character Jack, is sort of the symbolic representation of Stanley Kubrick. And well, and the idea is that Jack is like one version of Kubrick and like the, the child is like the artistic version of Kubrick or something. Right. But anyways, Uh this is like, okay, so he's been given this offer to film the moon landings and now he's playing ball. So it's like, it's very on the nose. He's playing ball with Apollo 11. Right. And Mm -hmm. he's bouncing by bouncing the wall on the picture of it in the movie. It's, it's very on the nose. And when you pointed out that we were like, all right. Okay. Okay. I'm with you so far. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I'm with I'm you listening. so far. Okay. So he's bouncing the ball. The ball falls to the ground and it rolls away into the, into the darkness. And we don't know where it goes. Jack, he gets up and he goes and he, he looks at, um, like a mock up of the hedge maze of the hotels. The hotel has this hedge maze in the movie that wasn't there in the book. In the book, there were uh-huh. topiary animals that at some point came to life and started attacking people. In the movie, they made this hedge maze. And on the surface, you might say that the the topiary animals would have been incredibly difficult to achieve using special effects, right? Yeah. And that's why they did a hedge maze instead. And the hedge maze is really cool and effective in the movie. So Jack sees his wife and child in the model of the hedge maze. And this is pretty obvious symbolism for the project um, joining up to the project, a secret project like that is he's compromising his wife. And the, if the child represents his creative self, the, his, his family and his creative self are being trapped in this maze 
by this secret project, right? So throughout mm-hmm. the movie, there are teddy bears seen in different settings and places, and some of them are very large. And these teddy bears are supposed to represent Russia. And I was like, okay, all right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, okay, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> why not? That checks out. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that means anything, but wh- why not? Right? We'll give them that one. Seems um, appropriate. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so in, uh, this is an article I read about this and they just sort of throw out there in the middle of the article that, um, the cold war was the reason for faking the moon landings and they had to pretend to be in a race with Russia, a space race to hide the fact that we had secret flying saucer technology. I'm like, all right, continue. Hmm. But no, they just throw that out there. They don't <laughs> elaborate on that at all. You're just yeah. expected That's- it's quite a leap. Yeah. They're just like, okay, well, if you're reading this, then you, you already understand that the United States, I'm like, well, no, maybe not. Maybe I don't understand that. Explain that to me, but they don't. Anyways, I thought it was fun. So I threw it in my notes anyways. <laughs> All right. In another scene, the son, Danny, he's scared by the dead twin daughters of the previous caretaker. And this is kind of interesting because Again, symbolism here, right? So the previous caretaker is dead and his daughters are twins. This was not in the book. In the book, I think there might have been these daughters mentioned, but in the book, they were not twins. But what was the previous space mission before Apollo? Aging ETA? Why you got to put me on the spot, man? Gemini. That's right. It was (laughs) Gemini. Gemini, I I I was about to say that. The twins. The twins, man. Gemini is the twins. The, the, again, this goes along with this theme that Kubrick put stuff in that he deviated from the novel and his deviations were all to put symbolism in there to telegraph or to tell us that he faked the moon landings. And again, why would he put twin daughters in there? Why would they be twins? It's like, is that creepy? I don't know. They're just kids. But, um, I mean, they're actually kind of cute in the movie. They're cute little girls. You know, they're not, they're not creepy at all. Right. (laughs) But, Uh but anyways, I thought that was a lot of fun. I'm like, oh shit. I didn't, I didn't see that. I've seen this movie before, but I I didn't think of it that way. All right. Mm -hmm. So anyways, Danny sees the twin daughters and then he gets scared off or whatever. They ask him if he wants to play. So a little bit later, Danny is actually playing with some toys on the carpet with some like trucks and cars and things, right? He's sitting down and this is where we get, this is where we get to some stuff that like up to this point, you're like, okay, maybe, yeah, whatever. I don't know. You you haven't really convinced me, but check this out. Okay. So the tennis ball that Jack had been using to play ball with Apollo 11 rolls up out of the darkness towards Danny, right? And Danny stands, this catches his attention and he stands up. And as he stands up, we see that on his sweater, like ETA had mentioned earlier, is there's a a rocket ship that had been, it's like stitched onto his sweater. And it's like the the sweater is like a hand knit sweater. Yeah. Yeah. Like hand knit. Yeah. And you could say, okay, well, yeah. What kid doesn't have a rocket ship on his sweater? Okay. Fair enough. But the rocket ship says very clearly, Apollo 11. <laughs> yep. So sure does. It's completely unambiguous. It absolutely says Apollo well, you 11. You want to talk about on the nose. Yeah, this <laughs> it's really on the nose. So he stands up and the way he the way he stands up sort of like 
he stands straight up. So the, the cars and everything on the ground with him sitting on the ground, that's like the rocket sitting on the ground. And when he stands up, it's like the rocket launching, right? And <laughs> this is, this part's fun. And he walks over to room 237, right? And you're like, mm-hmm. okay, room 237. Well, this is another detail that was changed from the book. In the book, it was actually room 217. So why mm-hmm. did he change? Did Kubrick change the number from 217 to 237? Did you take this one down in your notes, Aging ETA? I did. It's the different uh, the distance from the Earth to the moon. 237,000 miles, which is, okay, so now we're like, all right, this is a little bit too much to be a a coincidence, right? So, you know, so you have this kid sitting with a rocket ship on, he's, and like, if you look at like the movie, like the, (laughs) the way the cars and everything are, it's like, dude, that looks like, it's like a totally like a rocket launch, like not Mm -hmm. totally like, but you could definitely interpret that way without it being very much of a stretch at all. Right. So he goes to room 237 and, uh, this room is supposed to be the room itself, like inside room 237 is supposed to be a symbol for like the stage or the, the sound stage or the set where they actually filmed the moon landings or, you know, the Apollo 11 moon landing or whatever. So Danny goes to this room and this is the room. I don't think I mentioned at the beginning of the book and the movie, there's a caretaker called Halloran. Uh, I think his name is Dick Halloran. And he tells Danny not to go to this room. Like that's the bad room. Don't go there. Right. So Danny's like standing in front of this room and it kind of cuts away to a different scene and other stuff happens. The next time we see Danny, like his sweater is ripped and he looks, he looks like really shook up and he's like, you know, messed up and stuff. The movie deviates quite a lot from the book in a lot of ways. One of the ways is that in the book, the father was, um, it's, it's a really interesting book because the father, he's not a nice guy. He's an alcoholic. He broke his son's arm and when he lost his temper in the past, but at, at the core of him. He's not a bad guy. He's really is trying his best. He's trying to do right by his family and whatever. So in the movie, uh, they sort of hint at that and they, they, he, he's not as sympathetic of a character as he is in the book. In the movie, he's just kind of an asshole, right? Yeah. And you're like, why is this lady married to this guy? This guy's a total piece of shit, which is kind mm-hmm. of, a, that's one of the things that I think the movie really didn't do that well is portray Jack's character. But anyways, that's neither here yeah. nor there. So Wendy, the wife thinks that Jack did something to hurt the boy. But um, he, it, the boy is like, no, it was somebody else. And Wendy thinks that there was somebody else in the hotel at some point. But this is a symbol of, or this symbolizes how uh, Wendy and the son, who's supposed to symbolize Jack's, or I mean Kubrick's, you know, creative side, how the taking the job to fake the moon landings did injury to those people, to his family and to himself. Right. And that's like the, the, the kid looks beat up and his sweater is torn and stuff. That's supposed to be the symbolism there. So I guess Wendy gets in an argument with him and Jack runs off to the bar. Now, I don't know if they say this in the movie, but in the book, they make it very clear that there's no alcohol at all in the premise and that Jack is, is a recovering alcoholic. So when he goes to the bar and there's like this ghostly, apparition or um it's in the article they call it the real manager of the hotel 
serves them a drink of alcohol. So in both cases, I'm not sure if it's quite as obvious in the movie, but definitely in the book, we know that this alcohol isn't real, but it's somehow something that the ghost or the hotel has given him, whether it's some sort of like potion or what isn't entirely clear, but they, the, uh, the manager serves him or the bartender, depending on how you, how you want to look at it, serves Jack an alcoholic beverage. And this is again, symbolic of Jack being a recovering alcoholic. It's sort of like he's selling out. He's selling himself to do this project to, you know, to come to this hotel and write his story. Oh, I don't think I mentioned part of the story with pretty important part of the story is that Jack's a writer and he's trying to get himself back on his feet. And as he takes a job as a caretaker during the winter months and the idea being that in his free time, he's going to write, you know, he's going to write a story. Was it a story or a play? But either way, he's going to write. And then when he's done being a caretaker during the summer, he's going to have this awesome novel that he's going to be able to sell. And by taking this alcohol, he's completely giving up that dream in the book and in the movie. I believe it's is both are both symbolizing this point. But again, this is just a symbol of Kubrick selling himself out because the, I mean, it's a pretty, pretty close, you know, they're both writers, I guess. So it's uh pretty, the, the symbolism, that's the thing. What I like about this, the symbolism in this movie, it's, you don't have to, you don't have to bend it too far for it to make sense. It's not like one of these things where you have to go, and you know, into 15 different layers of interpretation. Yeah. For it to you make don't have sense, to get that abstract. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's not that abstract. Yeah. It's the perfect way of putting yeah. it. Like Apollo 11 is on the kid's sweater. It's right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Staring you dead in the face. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Jack is having a conversation with the bartender and Wendy comes in. And when she comes into the bar area, the bartender and Jack's drink disappear. And then that's when Wendy says, there's somebody else in the hotel. You got to go check this out. You're the man. And apologies to those youngins out there who are not into the gender roles. But hey, back in the day, when there was a bad guy and there was a wife and a husband involved, it was the husband that went to take care of the bad guy. That's just how it was back in the day. So Jack goes to the, uh, he, he takes on his, his totally misogynistic role and goes to room 3237 to investigate what was- or his proper role. His proper you know. role. Yeah. Is that offense? Is that too offensive? Should I edit that out? I don't know. How is that offensive? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I can't know I mean? tell anymore. How? I can't tell anymore. I don't. <laughs> I don't think it is at all. To, all right. Not in my opinion. Although, uh, yeah. So Jack goes to room 237 to see what's going on in this room. And I remember we're using this as a, a metaphor or a symbol for the, like the studio where it was, where it was filmed. So he goes mm -hmm. into the room and he sees a ghost, which is like a young woman that turns into an old woman or something and freaks him out. He leaves. And when he reports back to Wendy, he lies about it and says that there was nothing there. And again, this is symbolism is pretty on the nose. That means that he's not allowed to talk to Wendy about what's really going on. He's, uh -huh. you know, when she goes into the ho into the bar, the manager and the drink disappear. In other words, she's not allowed to see his hidden life. Or when, when she goes, or when she asks him about what he saw in the room, he's not allowed to tell her about what he really saw in there. He lies about it. So he's lying to his wife. Kubrick is lying. This symbolizes Kubrick lying to his wife and family and friends 
about his involvement with faking the moon landing. All right, you with me so far? Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I got I'm, more. I'm trying to keep up. Yeah, I'm trying to keep up. This yeah, <laughs> this there's this one is this one is pretty like it's a fun one because I feel like I'm going off the rails. I looked into it, but not as deeply as you did. But I will say that like I got to be honest, like the the Stanley Kubrick angle to things is one of the more convincing ones. It know, is. Just because of how, how much is there, you know? Yeah, it's, it really is so much fun because you're like, oh my, oh my God, oh shit. Like, dude, this is- Why would he have done all this? Yeah, why like, was that in know, the movie? Like, like, it's definitely there. Like, once you see it, you can't unsee it kind of a thing. It's really weird. So yeah. as the movie goes on, Jack looks more and more like disheveled and unkempt, like growing a beard and like looks, looks like he hasn't showered in a while and stuff like that. And this is supposed to parallel the, like Stanley Kubrick during the, the uh, production of the movie 2001, a space odyssey, because mm. if you look at pictures of him before and after that movie, that movie took four years to make. And if mm. you look at pictures of him after the movie, he looks a lot like the character Jack at the end of the shining who looks, you know, like pretty roughed up. Like he looks pretty rough, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the idea is that, Kubrick was doing two things at once. He was producing the moon landing videos, which to make them as convincing as they are, if they're fake would have taken a significant amount of work. Like this would not have been an easy job. I mean, you would have had to do every tiny minutia. They would have had to film everything 150, a thousand times. I don't know how many times just to get it perfect. Right. They would have had to put so Mm -hmm. much work into that. But the idea is that, he was doing the movie while he was doing the moon landing fake, the fake food, the, 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 he would have, <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> he would have been doing both at the same time. And that's why by the end of the production, he would have, he was, you know, burning the candle at both ends. And he would look, he was, mm-hmm. he didn't even look like the same person. Look at the pictures, man. He looked like completely yeah. stressed out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he's showing us that by showing like what Jack looks like at the beginning and the end of the movie. That's like a parallel there in uh-huh. the movie. Yeah. Go ahead. ETA. Yeah. So it's, it's reflecting on his, own, on his own life. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, you know, one of the, like, I remember the first time I watched that movie, like I, I wasn't paying attention to any, I didn't know anything about any of this stuff. You know what I mean? Like it was just a, a odd horror movie of sorts that I was watching. That was a legendary movie that I felt I needed to watch, you know? But <sighs> Shelley Duvall, uh, who played Wendy, um, did it strike you as like a little bit of overacting? Yeah, like, in some scenes. Yeah, there's like that's like okay. oh, I under- so I understand you that you're terrified, but Jesus, lady, like no, there's there's actually <laughs> a reason for that, and <laughs> so apparently uh, I'm laughing, but it's actually not a laughable matter. Stanley Kubrick fucked with her so much that she had like a nervous breakdown on the set and he fucked with her intentionally to get a better performance out of her, to get the performance that he wanted. So, uh, oh, I don't, nice. that's a whole other story. <laughs> I don't want to get bogged down in that cause we're running yeah, a little long yeah. here, but, um, look okay, up, yeah. or, look up like a, one of those production hell blogs or videos on the shining. And you're like, dude, Stanley Kubrick might have made some good movies, but man, that guy was a fucking dick. I mean, you you ought not be treating other people like this. You know, I don't care mm-hmm. if your goal is to make the best movie ever. You can never justify treating another person like that under any circumstances. It's just not right. 
I don't care if Shelly Duvall was a complete pain in the ass, which is, you know, there's a rumor that she was. I don't know. I never met the lady. Maybe she's not. But at the end of the day, you, you have a responsibility to treat people, you know, in a reasonable manner. And apparently he did not do that. Causing a nervous breakdown in somebody, that is not mm-hmm. cool. Not cool at all. But uh, we won't go into that because it's a little far afield. But anyways, so back to the movie. Another thing in the movie, this is one, this scene is so iconic that when I read that it wasn't in the book, I've read the book and I've watched the movie. It's been many years. I already know what scene you're talking about. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? At some point, Wendy finds that the novel that Jack's, he's working on a novel this whole time. He's like typing away at a typewriter, working his ass off or whatever. Wendy gets the novel and looks at it in the paper. There's just pages hundreds of pages that he's typed out and every page is the exact same thing. It's one sentence and it says all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. So this whole time, (laughs) ever since he got there at the hotel, the whole time he's been typing this sentence over and over and over again, he hasn't been writing a novel at all. He's just, just been typing this one thing. She sees this and she's like, starts freaking out and stuff. And she's like, Oh shit. Cause it, they they don't explain in the movie her thought process, but you imagine she's freaking out because she's like, oh shit, he is way crazier than I thought he was. He is not mm-hmm. recovering from anything. He is just completely lost. You know, he is mm-hmm. lost completely. And uh, this this scene is just so powerful that like, this was not in the book. And when I read that, I'm like, wait a minute, this wasn't in the book? I remember this being in the book. I had to Google it to double check and yeah, this apparently, cause I didn't have time to reread the book, obviously, <laughs> but mm-hmm. this scene is apparently not in the book. And I'm like, that is crazy. Cause this is such an iconic scene, right? Yeah. I, I've even, I've used that many times as a joke, you know, yeah. like when we're playing online, you know, or, or I'm just like, you know, joking around with my friends, I'll work and no play makes agent, agent ETA dull boy. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Obviously that's not what I'm calling myself in the moment, but you know, <laughs> yeah. So the, yeah, it's, it's a very, very, very iconic, like, like you said. So going with the theme of everything in the movie that wasn't in the book being, um, some way trying to symbolize the Apollo mission. If you replace, um, the word all instead of two L's, it's two ones. So a one, one or Apollo 11, Apollo 11. Uh, so, you know, working on that and no play, play meaning maybe the more creative side of, of Kubrick or referring to like his goal of trying to do 2001. That's sort of like why that's in there. Cause it, you know, makes him a dull boy or whatever. That's sort of what that's symbolizing. This is probably the biggest stretch out of all of them. But, um, if you look at like the font that they use and like, it's, it's still not that much of a stretch, you know, for, all to be Apollo to stand for Apollo 11 instead of all it's a bit of a stretch, but it's still, it's not that much of a stretch for me. I could still kind of see it, you know? Mm -hmm, And then the symbolism here also involves with like the wife. That means like his wife in real life at some point found out what he was really doing. He wasn't really making these movies. And you got like, if you've been in a relationship, if you go to work, and you come home 16 hours later and your wife's like, wait a minute, that was supposed to be an eight hour shift. Even not even a wife, but just a reasonable spouse is going to be like, what's going on here. It's something weird is going on here. I don't want to jump to conclusions. 
and I'm not going to accuse you of anything, but something weird's going on here. So this suggests that in real life, Kubrick's wife discovered at some point that the project that he was supposed to be doing, which is the novel and the book actually ended up being a fraud and a front for something else, which is faking the Apollo 11 landings. In other words, his wife found out. And when she found out that was probably very stressful for her to find out that he had been leading a double life, right? That's sort of what mm-hmm. this scene in the movie where she discovers that he's been typing the same sentence over and over again. That's what that scene sort of symbolizes. All right. So after Wendy finds this script at this point in the movie, she starts freaking out and wants to leave the hotel Jack tells her that he has to stay because he has obligations to his employer. And if, again, if you look at the symbolism and the hotel being America and, you know, the, the fact that he's agreed to do this, but he doesn't seem like he wants to, but he's obligated to That's symbolism for Kubrick signing up to do this. But at the end, maybe he wants out, but he has no choice. He has to follow through on it because at this point, you know, you're, you're in too deep and you, you can't get out at this point. You know, if you've agreed to yeah. do a top secret project like this, there's no yeah. out you're doing it, you know? Well, and, and probably extremely serious repercussions. If oh, yeah. you happen to go against the grain, so to speak. Right. And that's actually one of the last things in the movie that was not in the book. So Danny, the child, Danny psychically contacts Halloran in Florida. And by the way, Florida is where Apollo 11 was launched from or from which mm-hmm. Apollo was Damn it, we're Whichever. agents of the United <laughs> States government. We don't end our sentences in propositions. <laughs> That's a going. nice reference to Be- Beavis and Butthead to America. Yeah, for, for, for all of you old people out there like us. Yeah. I don't I'm know surprised why. I even picked up on that. That, that, <laughs> like, scene, that scene was so hilarious that I still think, and like still today, if I'm writing something, <laughs> like it doesn't matter what I'm writing, it still is in my head. Okay, I'm not supposed to end the sentence with a preposition because they said so in Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> like that's the only reason why, like, I don't, I don't know if that's even a real rule. That might be a completely made up rule for that movie, but still it's in my head. So I don't, I try not to end sentences and prepositions because of that movie. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Well, and the funniest part of that too is, uh, the guy that, that was doing the voice for that was um that guy from uh wasn't it America's Most Wanted? Yeah, I think? Robert Robert Stack, I think his name was. Is I, I don't remember his name, yeah. but I just remember I remember his face, you know, the face. But yeah. but uh like he did a good, I mean he was a very appropriate voice for that character, you know. It was, oh, yeah. it was on the nose, as it were. He did know? a great job in that movie. But I think yeah. my uh my favorite scene from that movie, if I may, uh, <laughs> is when uh <laughs> their neighbor was like, You guys been you guys been over there in my shack masturbating like a bunch of spider monkeys. <laughs> like, you know what that? Was that in the movie or was that an episode? <laughs> or, or is that I, just I for, your I imagination? And well, <laughs> welcome to Meowth who, or Mouth who just joined up to catch that little bit. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> I just saw her pop on. I'm like, oh boy. Great timing there. <laughs> well, hey, a little, little, good little diversion. She's heard this show before. She knows what to expect, right? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Anyway, so Danny psychically contacts Halloran in Florida and uh, Halloran, long story short, makes his way all the way up to the hotel. When Halloran gets to the hotel, he gets killed in the movie right away. He gets killed by Jack, but that doesn't happen in the book. So the idea here is this is a symbol for, um, 
Kubrick. So Danny, remember Danny symbolizes Kubrick's creative self. So if Kubrick, mm. this could mean one of two things, either that Kubrick really did tell somebody and that person, because, you know, if you're in this project, the government's going to be monitoring your phones and tapping your lines and all that fun stuff. So if Kubrick told a friend said, ah, oh, you're never going to believe this. I can't believe I'm going to tell you. Maybe he got drunk one night or something. Uh, who's I got to turn off my phone. <laughs> that was me. God damn it, ETA. I, I, I responded to that group text there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to have to turn off. I figured off after my... the first one, you'd put it on silent. I know. I was, I was, uh, we're almost done here though. And I was, I was like, all right, maybe they won't text back whoever it was. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> and then I did. <laughs> okay. So anyways, um, the idea is that uh, this symbolizes that if Kubrick told somebody that that person would be killed or maybe that he really did tell somebody and that person was killed. Either way, it's so I, I don't, I mean, I'm not aware of anybody in Kubrick's life dying suspiciously, but maybe they did and I didn't catch it. But to me, this seems to suggest more that um, it was like his his life was, and the life of his friends and family were under threat. And he felt that like he couldn't tell anybody about what was going on, about what he was really doing you know, like at his retreat where he's blocked off from the rest of the world by the cold war or cold storm that had locked him into this hotel, you know, like mm -hmm. the symbolism is all there, man. And it's all very obvious. It's all very on the nose. It's not most of it or any of it is not much of a stretch. Like I said, but I mean, that's the last thing I had in my notes that, uh, basically this thing where the caretaker is killed. And that's, again, it's very obvious symbolism, but there's a lot of other clues in the movie a lot of other stuff you could interpret. Like one of my favorites that um, I haven't mentioned yet was when they're walking through the hotel at some point or something, there are six crates or six flats of seven up. You can see sort of to the side. And if the, the Apollo missions, there were seven missions sent to the moon, but only six of them landed. Mm -hmm. So seven up six crates, mm. right? Come on. Well, and Come also on. They, uh, there was one, there's also one scene where they had like a, uh, like a, a cupboard full of like tang, I think, right? Because uh -huh. like tang is is the the drink that the astronauts used to drink, right? Right. Yeah. It's like it's like concentrated um, pirate juice, basically, without the gin. It's got like the vitamins in there. It's got the calories and stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, maybe that is an urban myth. I don't know, but I, I've been told many times that tang was developed for astronauts. So I believe it. I don't know why not. <laughs> Well, I mean, no, that's how they used to, they used to, uh, when it was first, uh, like advertised, they would advertise it as, you know, uh, an astronaut drink and, and no, it definitely was used by them. Yeah. But yeah, so that's, believe it or not, that's actually the short version of how the shining tells the story of Kubrick faking the moon landings and how it affected his life, his family and his relationship with his wife and all that stuff. There's a lot more to it. And, um, I got several sources, but probably my favorite source for this was secrets of the shining by J Widener, W E I D N E R. There's an, there's a couple articles by that guy, but, um, some of his stuff is a little far out there. We won't go into all of that, but, uh, I mean, as far as the movie and the symbolism he points out, I mean, at the very least, at the very least, when he did the shining, Kubrick was aware of conspiracy theories of him fabricating the moon landing. And he put the symbolism in there is sort of like, sort of like to say, Hey, what's up to the people who think that he did that. 
and sort of to poke fun at the whole topic, or he actually did the moon landings and he's confessing to it through the movie. Either way, uh, in my opinion, there's way too much symbolism in the movie that's way too obvious to where you could just ignore. I mean, I'm convinced that Kubrick was saying something about the moon landings in this movie. There's just too much stuff there, you know? But I guess at the end of the day, I'm not totally convinced that the moon landings were faked, you know? In fact, if you're going to put me, put a gun to my head and ask me, uh, yeah, I, I think we went to the moon. But there's a lot of really fun conspiracy theories, and especially the the shining symbolism, I find very compelling. I'm like, ah, there's a lot there. There's too much there to ignore. I find the whole thing very interesting. And that's pretty much my summary. What do you, you got anything else about the moon landings, Agent ETA? You know... I think as far as like, uh, it's cause I, when I was younger, like here's how I'm going to describe it. Okay. This is how I'm going to choose to describe it. I feel like a flat earther that has been led the right way and now no longer believes in flat earth, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so like when I was, when I was younger, I was like hook, hook, line and seeker. I was into it. We did not go to the moon. You know, this is all fabrication. This is all, you know, it, it's all a lie. You know, it's all part of the, you know, uh, the, the, the whole like military industrial complex was the one that, and I don't think this is necessarily untrue, but like, you know, they're the ones that were, you know, put the, the, the people pushing the gears, the levers behind the scenes, you know, they're the ones that actually caused the cold war to begin with, you know what I mean? Cause they're the ones profiting off of it, which I, like I said, like there's a lot there. I think that is potentially true, but, um, after doing all this research, because before this episode, like I had just casually watched videos and stuff or casually, you know, digested some articles I had, I had been interested in or whatever that spoke about this, but I hadn't ever looked into like the debunking side of it. And when you hear people who are like very specialized in their field talking about a lot of these subjects, it starts to make a lot of sense that, nah, it looks like we really did go to the moon, you know, like. And that's, that's, that's where I'm landing pretty much right now is I, I, I do believe we went to the moon. Um, I don't think it was a fabrication. Um, could there have been some lies in between there? Sure. Yeah, I suppose. But I, I think we did, you know, and, uh, I, and one of the other things also that people like bring up that I think, I don't think we have mentioned yet was the, uh, the missing tapes of the uh, Apollo 11 mission. Oh yeah, dude. And We've, we just scratched has, the surface, man. We barely scratched the surface. Yeah. There's. There's a lot, you know, but like, I don't even, I don't even know if I want to get into that. Cause that's going to take another, who knows how long, you know, just that one well, topic itself too, you know, cause they're. And earlier I referenced Apollo good. one, which the astronauts actually died in a, a tragic accident. But, um, the, the reason yeah. why I sort of made a joke out of it is because there's a conspiracy theory that seems somewhat plausible that they, the people on that team those three astronauts were, they burned to death in a test. And it seems like there's possible that that was not an accident that was on purpose. And there's other people, there's a couple other people who died in uh, strange car accidents and stuff like that, that we don't, that were also whistleblowers around that, that involved with this. But I mean, obviously we don't have time to go into all that right now. That's a whole other episode for that. But that's why I mentioned Apollo one and the astronauts burning on that because it's sort of a nod to that. But that's a little too mm-hmm. far afield for this episode, I think. Yeah. But I mean, all in all, uh, I do believe that we went to the moon, although there are some, there's some compelling evidence surrounding this whole thing that it, I, I still have a, a little bit of a question, 
some stuff doesn't line up. Like, I mean, like you said, like most of that Stanley Kubrick stuff is like, why would he even do it? Like why, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird thing right there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah. it, it gives you a little bit of pause, you know, but, but yeah, I think we went to the moon though. Yeah. Although I can tell you, for example, uh, I do know some mysteries are solvable. So the, the movie eyes wide shut, right? You're like, well, that's a very strange movie. Why would you make that movie? Well, I'll tell you why you you would make that movie. It's obvious, isn't it? Because you wanted to see Nicole Kidman naked. That's why you make that movie, right? Isn't that? I mean, that's that's why I watched the movie. <laughs> I mean, there's no other reason. That's just, I mean, <laughs> no, but that's that. I think that movie might be a good topic for another time because that is a weird freaking movie, like weird, super weird. But mm. anyways, so I guess that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this show, you could really help us out by suggesting us on social media and leaving a good review wherever you listen to podcasts. And normally Agent Ether would say this part of it, but I'll go ahead and fill in for her because she's being lazy tonight. Keep it strange.